Hello and welcome to another episode for the season um, in the Digital Den podcast. I'm joined by SMP MSP um, candidate Gillian Martin for Aberdeen Church East. By the time this goes up, um, we will know the results of the Scottish parliamentary elections. Um, Gillian, as ever, we've spoken before. It's a pleasure to talk to you on the podcast. What a time to be a politician. Um, how are you? I'm fine, thanks Shane. I'm, I'm, I suppose, yeah, you've just sort of like given me um, sort, of, sort of a cold sweat talking about this time next week. Um, you know, it'll be a foregone conclusion, but as we record it, we're a week out from the election, exactly a week. And yeah, things are gathering pace. Yeah, I'm good though. Good, good. Um, so... As a politician, you have to represent your constituents in the best ways possible, whether it's in Parliament or um, matters to do with with your constituency. How did you get on with, in lockdown last year? Because it must have been incredibly hard to to try and balance that, trying to to, to balance the, the working in in parliamentary um, sessions and committees and so on and so on, and then trying to um, represent your constituents at home too. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't easy, but like, like every other workplace, we had to make quite a lot of modifications to how we work, mainly, I mean, we're normally in the constituency, I've got a team of three other people, and um, of course, we couldn't be in the office anymore, um, and we had to make all those adjustments, but the thing, of course, about being an MSP in the middle of a pandemic is all your constituents are coming to you with all their concerns and worries about the pandemic at the same time, so you're getting... You're, you're getting all the, the issues around the actual, the, the health issues, but you're, the main thing we were getting is people really worried about the jobs and really worried about how they were going to make ends meet, what was going to happen. So, of course, things were happening happening really fast and, and obviously the government's having to respond to this, not just the, the Scottish government, but the UK government. So you and your team had to have a real handle on what support there was available to people. And you also had to really understand all the restrictions that have been put in place. You know, day after day, there was, everything was, you know, changing yeah. and, and and moving on. So um, I think that the hardest thing was um, the despair that some people were feeling about particularly the economic situation. And that's been a, that's been a constant thing throughout the year. Managing the parliament is it's been okay because um, the parliament adapted really quickly to a sort of mix of being in the chamber and and home working. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I um I convene a committee, and we actually were one of the first committees to actually put through legislation on a, a kind of digital platform. Um, I, I actually sort of you know we just looked upon it as a challenge, and we we were determined that it wasn't going mm-hmm. to let us how we did things we had some really important legislation to go through and we were like no we can do this yeah so that worked really well um so parliament were, were quick to adapt i think that just the hardest thing has been the, the 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 issues we've had to deal with with constituents and getting them help there's never enough money to help um everyone to the level which they they need uh, it's a case of pointing people in the right direction and yeah, and some a lot of the time just being a listening ear, phoning people up, you know, listening to what their, their problems are, trying to point them in the, the right direction, trying to give them advice. And um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's not been easy, but it's not been easy for anybody. Yeah, um, I, I've seen in the, the Scottish Parliament as well as the, um, the UK Parliament, 
the the Zoom calls um, that have been going on, mixing that in with people who are actually in the parliament itself. How did you cope with the Zoom calls? Because um, I know that most people um, will be going to the or getting to the end of the tether with the Zoom calls. Yeah, I mean the work Zoom calls. Um, yeah, you got you got into a rhythm. Well, we, we're lucky in the parliament. Whenever we're doing the parliamentary stuff, we've got a broadcasting team that sit behind it and keep us right. So we're not having to do things like operate microphones or anything, or else I think it would have driven me insane. You know that <laughs> thing of like, I think you're muted, Jeff. You know that thing that, mm, that yeah. done, like those common phrases that have now become part of our vocabulary. Yeah. Um, you're still on mute. Um, no, that sort of thing. So, so whenever we're doing the parliamentary stuff, there's a broadcasting team in the same way that the broadcasting team um, broadcasts everything when we're in the, the physical parliament building. They had to adapt really quickly and do it online as well. Mm. And often hybrid stuff as well. So sometimes you would have people who are actually physically in the building, um, but you'd have contributions from people that were, say, in Caithness or, or Shetland or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have to deal too much with the sort of technical stuff that you do when you're doing the kind of like your, your normal Zoom meetings. Yeah. I mean, certainly the, 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 on, the online meetings have not been anywhere as near as frustrating as the sort of Zoom calls that you have with your family. <laughs> <laughs> uh, going back to the first time when you... Um, decided to join the Scottish Nationalist Party. Um, from what I've read so far in my research, you joined it the day after the Scottish independence um, referendum. Can you walk us through that? Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So I hadn't joined the party at all. I've always voted SNP. I've never voted for anyone else. And my parents are lifelong members. They've been members ever since well before I was born. But I had... Um, I had quite a sort of mm, a, a thing that I didn't want to join a party because I was involved in the media and I don't really agree with people in the media belong, belonging to a political party. Mm. And although I didn't do much in the way of political journalism or anything, I just felt that, you know, I keep my political views largely to myself. Quite a naive thought, I suppose. Um, and I just, you know, I, I was always you know clear. I was you know, wanted independence, whatever. But I like to keep that completely separate to, to my work, which I, you know took very seriously and I just didn't agree with people in the media having you know uh, membership of a party um however my view on that completely changed um so in an in independence referendum in the campaign for the independence referendum I got heavily involved with help set up women for independence mm. and there was quite a few times when I was campaigning for Women for Independence that I, I thought about joining the SNP at that point. But to be honest with you, Shane, see, when I was, I was doing things like um, village hall meetings or I was um, asked to do like interviews in the media. Yeah. I, was always, I was always asked as a Women for Independence member. And that was good enough for me at that point because I felt that I didn't want to to, I mean, you'd see SNP politicians being constantly questioned in the independence debate about SNP party policy, which was actually not exactly relevant to the, the vote that we were having. Mm -hmm. So I felt that it was always quite good to be able to cut through all of that by saying, well, hang on a second, you're making the mistake of thinking that I'm like um, an SNP politician. I'm representing women. I'm representing women who yeah. want independence. 
independence. And here are our views. So we didn't have necessarily any policies. We just wanted independence because we thought it was a good thing for the women of Scotland. So I resisted joining the SNP, even though I thought I'm going to have to at one point. I mean, I'm going to have to nail my colours absolutely to the mast here. Um, so as soon as the independence referendum was, I think I, I joined. I think I joined it about five in the morning on on september the 15th mm. but of course i didn't realize i didn't realize that thousands of other people were doing exactly the same thing mm. so sort of like you know avalanche of new members joining and i certainly didn't think at that point that anybody would ask me to stand as a candidate um but but they did um so you know um I, yeah a long time not been a member but you know I, there's no there's no right or wrong time to 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 join and I think the contribution that uh, new members have made post-referendum has been significant, but of course pale into insignificance compared to the stalwart members like my mum and dad who've been campaigning and tramping the streets since the mm. late 1960s, when they used to get a lot more doors shut in their face than we do now. Mm. Especially in the COVID time where, where you're campaigning, how, how does that get on? Because obviously there's going to be some funny moments um, as you campaign, I'm sure, in your, um, the first time you did it and, and now. Um, so do you remember any of those? Well, I mean, I, I guess there are less funny moments in the campaign at the moment because mm. you are not interacting with the public face-to-face -face as much as you normally would be. So, for example, you have got, you know, you have like hustings, you know, so you have these debates with the people that are running against you. And you normally have a hall, like Victoria Hall and, and Ellen would be absolutely packed to the rafters. And they yeah. would... They would always generate some stories. You would always have someone completely off the wall questions or, you know, that kind of thing. And that's been missing from this time. You know, yeah. I mean, I always, always say it like the first time I ever went door knocking and, and canvassing, and uh, it wasn't with, with for an SNP, um, for an election for the SNP, it was during the referendum. Um, and it was in... Uh, round about the area, round about Berry Den in Aberdeen. And, you know, the, the funny story I've got there is that a naked man came to the door, you know, and I had only just learned how to canvas. I was being buddied by someone. And then I said, no, I'm fine. I'll just do it myself. And, you know, two or three doors down the line and this man, and um, he, he, he didn't hide behind the door either, you know? So I thought, okay, right. So this obviously happens quite a lot. Um, <laughs> out to see my you know I just I just stared I just stared at the stage you know I just, like, you know, I just, I just need to get I used to get get what I need from the information from this man and it's not down and, and and I and I went back down the stairs of the close and there was all my my my, my friends waiting there and I said listen I've just had a naked man come to the door does that happen a lot and they all went no right and I was like, no, I've never had that. I've been doing this for like 20 odd years. Never happened to me. You've had people in their jammies all the time. But, and I thought, okay, fine. Well, so um, that's obviously a, quite a novel thing to happen. But you know what? It happened, it happened a second time that day to me again. Different guy. This time the guy actually was behind the door, but he had no clothes on. And I just thought, wow, this is... Um, this is more than a bargain for. <laughs> yeah. I have to say that it's never happened in the Shire. 
so I don't know, it's those bohemian, those bohemian city folk, I think, that live that kind of lifestyle. Um, but who answers the door in the scud? I just, I, I still can't believe it. So that's one of my funnier stories of what's happened. But no, there's funny stories this time. I'm afraid I don't have many because it's all been over Zoom. Mm. or It's been, you know, leafleting and social media rather than any kind of speaking to constituents. Mm. So, and of course you know the high streets have only just opened so while we're doing sort of first sort of, you know, walkabouts and whatever this weekend but um yeah maybe maybe they'll all all funny stories all pile up and i'm in for the end saturday yeah um i mean some people or some public figures have someone who helped them get into the the place of the career that they're in now whether it's a footballer or an athlete or as as yourself a politician do you have someone who was um right behind you someone who's your role model to get into politics i think i have a, a couple um i think i mean in terms of a role model i suppose that would really mean somebody who's already doing it and in it and and they would the two people that I would pick out, one would be Jean Freeman, who, of course, is currently the Cabinet Secretary for Health, because she was one of the board members alongside me for Women for Independence. And she went for election at the same time as I did. And she was a confidant and a person that G'd me along as well, because, of course, we had that shared history as well. Mm. Um, and so I count her as a, as a role model. But she also taught me very much that, to trust your own voice, you know, not to be not to be feared, just to say, well, listen, people are asking you to stand and you're the candidate, then they must think that you are able to do it. So you have to trust yourself and think you're able to do it. And you must have to look at yourself and see see things within you. And she very much was, you know, because she's, you know, She's an amazingly confident person and, and a real great uh, feminist sister. The, the other person, and this is a direct, a direct, um, you know, you you must stand was um, Maureen Mott, who is retiring uh, this election, but she mm-hmm. was the, she was the MSP for Aberdeenshire, Aberdeen South and North Kincardine, and a former health uh, mental health minister. Now it, the there was we had a I think it was the Sunday after the referendum we had a big sort of like meeting in a town hall in uh, New Deer that uh, Alex Salmon was at and you know, obviously he just stood in as first minister so he was giving us a big rallying call of you know mm. lose hope type thing at the end of that Maureen Watt marched across the floor not to ask me to stand but to tell me the stand in fact, she, the words she used was, I hope you're thinking of standing. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> me. Yeah. And she's been somebody that, um, I mean, I'm going to miss her an awful lot in the, in the parliament. She's somebody who tells you it straight, who tells you where you're going right, where you're going wrong. It's always very good advice. You always know you're going to get the, the truth from, from Maureen. But she has, uh, she would be one of the people who directly not just encouraged me to stand, but told me. Yeah. Better not think about not standing. So in, in Holyrood, when, when you decided to, or not in Holyrood actually, when you decided to make the change from being a, um, a, a women's and independence activist um, to being, a women's for independence, excuse me, activist to being a, uh, a politician for um, Aberdeen um, Sure East, how did you make the change? Because it's, it's a big switch how did you say, you know what, I'm going to do this, I'm going to 
become a politician? I, I guess, apart from a few people asking me to do it, which I kind of shrugged off. I mean, even when Maureen said that to me in the day of New Deer, I thought, no, 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 that's not me, it's not me. But, you know, I actually reflected on the fact that for the, for the last year and a half, um, representing women for independence, I had been gurning that there hadn't been enough women in politics. I had been saying that more women should stand to be representatives mm-hmm. and I felt actually you know I'm a bit of a hypocrite if I don't do it I've got this opportunity to to, to put my money where my mouth is here and maybe you know I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that the qualifications for the politician is that you've always wanted to be one and that your whole life's been geared up to this moment but yeah. actually some of the best politicians are the ones who are persuaded to come from their other life and their other career um, to become a representative who, who bring in the sort of experience they have from other sectors. And I just thought, well, you know what? Um, I've got an opportunity to do this. Um, the area that I live in and the area that I, was, I, I grew up in is looking for a candidate. Um, I think a woman should stand. So why not me? In fact... I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yeah, this is the right thing to do. It's, you know, I've, I've had a, I've had a good run being a, a lecturer and I had my own business doing video production and that kind of thing. I thought I've been doing that for 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can bring something to this parliament. I, I know my, I know my yeah. views. I know what I think. And I think I know what people like me want so yeah, you got to get on with it, haven't you? Mm. So there's only there's a really small amount of of female um, MSPs in in the Scottish Parliament, and of course there's a really small amount of, of BAME MSPs in the Scottish Parliament. What how how would you advise women who are looking or unsure about joining politics um, to to maybe try it out and and see and, and try get into get into the roles and become more represented? I would say campaign on something that you feel really strongly about. Um, I mean, I campaigned on something I feel really strongly about. So I had a good 18 months of experience of, of trying to persuade people to vote for independence. That just was something that I felt I feel still feel very passionate about. Um, I, I, I think that if you if you approach politics thinking I want to be an MP, or I want to be an MSP, and that's all you think, then you're, it's not right for you. In fact, mm. you're not right for it mm. because you have to care about an awful lot more than than that. It's not a kind of, this is the job I want. It looks quite cool. I want to do it. You need to know what you stand for and you need to think, well, this is these are the things, you actually need to think, these are the things that I want to achieve. Yeah. So therefore, is the best route for me to go and work in the third sector or is the best route for me to go in, into politics to achieve them. And if you've got campaigning experience and things that you really care about, um, then the chances are that, you know, you you may attract the attention of people in political parties anyway as being somebody that they would want to, to yeah. stand for it. One of the things, and, and you mentioned, you, you said, um, small amount of, of women. I think I think it's something. I think it's something like thirty six, thirty eight percent of yeah. women 
the last intake. And of course, there's only uh, two BAME representatives and they're both men. But it's, uh, once Hamza Yusuf Williams is, is Anna Sarwar. Um, but as Hamza often says, they're not, <laughs> they're not exactly diverse. The two of them went to the same school. They're from the same city. Yeah. They live in the same area. They grew yeah. up together. They're both men. You know, yeah. You know, so he said, you know, you know, hold holding them up as a sub, like, no, well, we've cracked the diversity thing, is actually a nonsense because they are very similar people and similar demographics, and we, we yeah. sadly haven't had a woman from um, BAME communities across Scotland manage to get elected yet. But if you look across the, the candidates that we've got at the, at the moment, there are quite a few um, across across the parties. I'm not so much sure about the, the Lib Dems, but there certainly are in, in the other parties as mm. well. I think it's incumbent on the parties themselves to look at the sort of people that they are putting forward to represent them and think, are we doing enough? Why have like, so for example, yeah. If you look at all your candidates and they're 90% men or they're 70% male and they're all white, you've got a problem Yeah, because you don't represent Scottish society. And if you think that, oh, well, hang on a second, this, this is this argument that I hear from people who don't agree in mechanisms, oh, but people get there in merit. If you say, well, here's, a, here's my 80% of white men representing my party, are you saying that women haven't got the merit to be there, that they've tried, but they've just not been good enough? Are you saying that the fact that you've not got anyone of colour there means that they haven't got the merit and they've just not been good enough? Mm. Or if you've got get any disabled people there, are you, you know, you do things on merit, you're saying that, you know, they're just not good enough. And I think that there's representatives from diverse communities across Scotland where people within them would make excellent MSPs. Yeah. So it can't be, it can't be they're not good enough. There's other barriers there. Mm. Um, there's other, other prejudices there. There's maybe unconscious biases there. There's, there's that whole thing of maybe they're not enough coming forward because you can't be what you can't see, that kind of thing, you know? So... Mm it's incumbent on your party to say, let's have a good look at ourselves and see if we're doing well enough. And if we're not, we need to figure out a way to redress this because yeah. it's never going to change if you don't. And I think we've proved it. It's never going to change if you don't take some action within how you do your selection. Yeah. Uh, I think for, for we, we've still definitely got a long way to go with representation of women in, in higher um, roles and more... Um, more representing and then prominent roles in our society obviously and we've still got a long way to go with them um, being communities being represented as well when when we talk about when i talked about advice for for young female um females looking to be going to politics um we, we also need to look at exams how do you how did you cope with your exams when you were um in secondary school was how trying to balance being your your aspirations and you said that you worked in media and trying to balance that with um um your, your school worker obviously yeah so um I, I was quite I was quite conscientious at school but it was born out more of, of fear than actual being <laughs> 
absolutely <laughs> academic. Mm. Um, I've, I've learned in later life that I'm more of a, a, a learn by doing person rather than a learn by studying person. Mm. So I went, I, I was the, I guess my parents were very keen that I went to university. There'd only been one member of my family that had gone to university. Um, and that had been my my uncle, my, my dad's younger brother. Um, so my mum and dad never really had the opportunity to go to university and they were very keen that I did. So, um, yeah, I, I probably studied really hard to make that come true for mm. them. Um, and I, I did okay. But I went, I went and, you know, and I got into university, I went to Glasgow University. But looking back, although my degree has been useful because I got into teaching and you need a degree to teach, looking back, I think I probably would have thrived in a more practical environment mm -hmm. because I'm not a studier, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a doer. I like to get things done. Yeah. And the very fact that when I did go into teaching, I went into teach at college level and I taught a very practical course in television production. That's the kind of course that I should have, they didn't exist when I was, yeah. you know, exist when I was leaving school. But if that course had been available in the 1980s, that's the kind of thing I should have gone and done. Because actually, um, the intense pressure to study and to you know to do very academic stuff I studied I studied German and film and television studies thinking that the film and television studies would have a big practical element and it didn't it was like doing an English degree it mm -hmm. was like analyzing existing work largely about 90 percent of the time and the German degree was obviously learning the language but doing the literature studies as well and I just, you know, look, you, you know yourself better, obviously, when you, you, as you get older. I would have probably enjoyed my time better if it had been a more practical subject. Because when I left school, I actually wanted to be a journalist. Yeah. Um, and I got, offered, um, I got offered a college place to do journalism. But because, you know, my parents were quite keen that I went to university, mm -hmm. I chose the and I got an offer from university as well. I chose the university route. And I do often wonder what would have happened in my career if I had chosen the college route and mm. done the practical course in, in journalism. Would I have ended up, I mean, you probably would have ended up doing the same thing. I don't know, but I think that might have been better suited to the way I, I learn and do things. So mm. so I, 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 you know, I slept my way through university. I ended up with not a fantastic degree. I got a 2-2 in the end. I found it really difficult. Um, uh, but yeah, I, you make up for you make up for for things you think well sometimes I think when you're young you think that university is, is the be all and end all and yeah. of course when you're at university you think the result you get is the be all and end all but it's what you do with that and it's what you do afterwards that really counts yeah uh, so you, you talked there about being a journalist that you you, you want to take the journalism part, path is that something that you if you weren't a politician that you'd have seen yourself becoming no no, because I, I changed my mind on that because I actually found that instead of, of the journalism aspect of things, I was far more interested in the programme making for television. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I, uh, 
yeah, I, I enjoy enjoy the again the the making the making of things. Yeah, um, and the organisation and the production behind behind things. Um, I'm quite a good organiser, and uh, yeah, so I got into I get into television and video production. I was a producer for for a few, quite a few years, and then I when I left my full time job doing that. I went freelance doing that, set up a company um, making, it was mainly I mean, making any type of, of program or video that anybody would want me to make, but mm-hmm. mainly corporate stuff. And then I started teaching it at college, um, which I have to say that I probably enjoyed the most. You, um, Holyrood is, is, is a very rowdy place, as, as um, many will know, especially the UK Parliament as well. So have you gone into any heated debates? Um, if so, what have those been about? And how, how do you feel when you're, when you're arguing your, your point of view um, against, against someone else's point of view? So you say it's rowdy, and I guess maybe it does come across like that if you only watch First Minister's questions. And of course, some debates can, can get quite heated. But I think you have to remember that, that we um, we argue, but the best arguments are the ones that are made with respect. Yeah. If you get personal or if you become rude or you become offensive, then you've lost the argument. Mm. You've lost the debate. So the best debates are the ones of which you've got your points you want to make and you make them in an impassioned way or you intervene in someone, you make an impassioned point. But as soon as you lose your temper or you say something that's, you know, unparliamentary, then that's it. You're not doing very well, are you, yeah. if you have to? So I guess when people see First Minister's questions, they see, you see the Tories banging on the desks and all the rest of it, and you see people shouting at one another. And, you know, maybe that doesn't particularly show us in the, the, the best the best of lights uh, sometimes. There are shouters and there are people who behave themselves, and I won't say which <laughs> I am. Um, but the the best, I think the best debates, the, the debates that stick out in my mind from the last five years have been um, about what we do about the Northeast economy. That really is something that I am really interested in. And there is this, um, almost this tension between, you know, the keeping the oil and gas going and the future prospects for young people when the oil and gas runs out, but also the responsibility we have not to burn oil and gas anymore because we've got yeah. climate change. And sometimes I have felt in the past, I think, I'm thinking in particular of an exchange that I had with Andy Whiteman, who was with the Greens, where he just did not understand that we couldn't, well, he wouldn't, he refused to understand why it was important to protect people's jobs in the Northeast and that you couldn't just say, we are stopping, we are stopping oil and gas production. And I felt he was being naive. And um, I, I, that was an impassioned response to him, to the point where people, I think, said you they could really tell that you really felt very, very strongly about. I, I've got a family history where my my dad was an engineer in shipbuilding in the Central Belt in a place called Claybank. And when I was very young, um, him and all of his workmates were being made redundant because they'd been shut down and there was no jobs for them. And we had to move halfway across the country in order for my parents to be able to have a livelihood. And I really 
that that drives me that drives me that 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 what happened in Clyde Bank and the fact that many men in particular didn't work again because nobody cared when an industry had the feet just chopped from under it that can't happen again in the northeast and I get really quite tub thumping about that that's always an interesting debate, the, the idea of um, trying to become more green, but um, the, the counter argument of there being also a detriment to people um, who are in the oil industry um, and working oil. Um, I think SYP Scottish Youth Department is also developing talks on that on, on how we can um, come up with ideas that will benefit both parts. Um, yeah. and it's not one or the other, Shane. I mean, it yeah. really isn't. And that's it's a just transition. We need to transition out from burning oil and gas, but we need to do it in a way that gives the people who work in that industry a future. Mm. And we need to, uh, we, we, it's not one or the other. And that, that was, I guess, my, my, my point. Sorry to interrupt you, but I just, oh, I didn't want you to think that I didn't care about the green arguments because I do absolutely care about them. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't convene the, the, the Environment Committee, Environment Climate Committee, uh, Change Committee for the last few years and not care about that. It just has to be done properly and yeah. in a way doesn't disadvantage whole communities. Yeah, um, as with all things, it's it, it's a very important topic, um, and and the world is changing, um, and we've seen changes happen. More snow, um, since we've all been at home, um, and more rain, more hail, different types of weather, and it's certainly a topic that um, I'm sure Scottish Youth Parliament and um, the 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 Scottish Parliament will be talking about in more detail as the year go on, especially in 2050, as we hope to I think reach that. Um, that lessen the the outputs um, from Scotland um, in aiding climate change or in, in har harming the, the the climate of our planet. Um, I've just got a couple of more questions for you. Um, as a politician, do you have any moments where you think to yourself, um, "How do I? How do I? How do I? Do you have any moments where you stumble or you, you think, "Can I continue?" Or um, down points as as many careers um, may have to. Yeah, I think I think you do because you wouldn't be human if you didn't. So I, I think maybe if there's been some times I think particularly maybe if you get if you maybe get internet abuse, you think, oh my goodness, I'm trying my best here. I'm I'm getting this. You know, it makes you feel a bit down. Um I I, I guess I'm maybe when you are missing things in your family life because you're down in Edinburgh that was first the first year was was difficult and, but you get you get used to that to a certain extent but I think on the whole those times are really they don't happen happen often because the things that you're able to influence and change and the results you're able to get for your constituents keep you going you know I mean, you, you and you do get a little bit tougher and less sensitive about, you know, if people are horrible to you, you know, that's the right to be horrible to you. I mean, I, I'd like to think that I wouldn't be horrible to anybody who came to my door, for example, no matter what flavour of politician they were, I'd still be polite. But, you know, you, you do get tougher in dealing with that and you don't take it to heart so much 
as you become more experienced. So I would say that the times I've I've never I've never thought that's it I can't do this anymore. That's it. I've never even when things have got been quite bad when you've had some really bad press. And I've had some bad press. Um, I've had some quite personal attacks in the press. But even at that lowest point when that happens, I've never thought about chucking it because it's a privilege to do, and you're able to, you're able to, you're able to put your ego to one side. And say, okay, that was a bit bruising. I didn't feel good, but you know, I'm just going to continue. I'm, you know, just keep on doing my work. Mm. That's it. Um, I, definitely. I mean, online abuse is something that it's it's sad to say that it, it, it continues to happen, but um, hopefully. Um, with more education, especially in schools uh, and personal um, learning, it's something that we can try and eradicate. It will take time, but hopefully um, we can move on and, and, and build on knowledge on how it can affect other people compared to um, how you can see a comment and forget about it. And then five years later, you remember it and then you see the impact of someone, um, yeah. of what it could have. Um, I've got one more question for you, and it's quite a fun one. Um I'm going to give you 30 seconds to grab an item which you think best represents you. Um, so you can go anywhere in the room, anywhere in your house, um, to quickly grab something that you think best represents you. Um, I will start the time. Does it have to be an inanimate object? Um, you, if you can bring you can bring the camera um, <laughs> to, to take it with you. But it can just be an object that you can take to the camera. You can take the camera to. Okay, so how long are you giving me? Um, I'll give you 30 seconds. Okay. Um, countdown and then timer starting now. Fifteen seconds. Ten. I've been quite boring. <laughs> Perfectly on time. A book. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I I guess books. It's quite dull. Sorry, but um, I've been quite um. You were talking about when I was at school and when I was younger and what I would do. Mm. Um, I've always been a bookie person. Mm. Yeah, I said I didn't like studying, but I, what I'd do when I wasn't studying was I would um, read novels mm. when I should have been studying. <laughs> and actually, when I did, I did English. I, I thought I was actually going to do an English degree. But what happened was when I was doing an English degree, they made me read books I, I wasn't enjoying. Yeah. <laughs> And I thought, oh, no, they're going to just take the joy out <laughs> thing for me. Um, so, yeah, I'm a bit of a book. I'm not reading much at the moment because I'm so tired that I fall asleep after one page. <laughs> a book of short stories on the go. But I would say books represent me more because I'd like to escape with a book. And uh, some of the best times I've ever had have been with a book. And when I was growing up, um, I, I guess that I grew up in the 70s and 80s and there wasn't much in the way of, you know, the entertainment that there is now. Mm. So I was always happiest with a book. So very boring. Perfect. I bet your other guests have come up with something far more interesting than that. 
it's something that represents you the best. So if that if that's what you think represents you the best, so be it. It's fantastic. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And um, really appreciate it. Special thanks to Gillian Martin. Um, for many female politicians, I'm sure that you're someone that people will look up to. Um, and I'm sure the I, I wish you the best, as with all candidates, um, on the election. We'll find out the result when the podcast is out. Um, and yeah, so be sure to follow and subscribe on our platforms, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Music, YouTube, SoundCloud, um, and search The Digital Den. Once again, thank you, Gillian, and we see you on the next episode.